Good morning. Well, yesterday, a uh, whole bunch of us went out to bike the bounds. I think uh, different people we picked up along the way, there were about 35 people who did it. Uh, some we missed, apparently Jen and some others we managed to not find, or they didn't find us. But anyway, we had a great time cycling around a loop of BCP, stopping to pray for our town in different places. It was a, a really good thing to do. So uh, thanks to those of you who came. It was a lot of fun. Right, we are at the moment doing a series based on Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. This is a series we're doing to help prepare us. In January, we will no longer be meeting just in this building, but we'll be going back to Alder Road. We'll have a congregation here and a congregation at Alder Road, and we are looking to prepare ourselves for that and using Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians, to help us in that. Last Sunday, my theme was prepare for trouble, and in the week leading up to that, I'd had all kinds of trouble flow into my life, and the theme that we'd prepared for this week was prepare for emotion, and of course, this week has been an emotional week, so I'm feeling a little bit nervous about some of the other subjects we've got coming up, what might happen. Uh, next week, Rich is preaching on prepare for a relationship, so uh, if you find your relationships being tested over the seven, next seven days, you know why, because of what's coming next Sunday. But today, we're thinking about prepare for emotion, and it has been an emotional few days, obviously, with the death of Her Majesty. Also, I kind of got forgotten with everything else going on, but uh, it's 9-11 today, the anniversary of that amazing event which has shaped so much of, the, uh, of our lives over the past couple of decades. So this is quite a week. Uh, of all the things that have been said about the Queen, one of the quotes I thought was uh, most helpful was this. She represented history in an era of anti-historical hysteria, forbearance in a time of narcissism, and public service in an era of self-worship and self-regard. It's a good summary of what the Queen was like. And those characteristics of the Queen were clearly underpinned by her Christian faith. And today, even as John and Vicky have led us so brilliantly in praying around the situation, there will be a range of emotions, I think, for those who are older, anyone old enough, as my parents are, to actually remember the coronation. Uh, this is a huge thing because it's been such a long time. For those who are younger, teenagers, perhaps it doesn't mean very much at all. There will be a range of emotions here this morning. But what I wanted to do this morning is to get into Scripture and to see what the Bible, 2 Corinthians in particular, teaches us about emotional health. Here's our verses for this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. In my lifetime, I think as a culture, as a nation, we've gone from stiff upper lip to let it all hang out. We've gone from Her Majesty the Queen to Meghan. We've gone from boys don't cry to uh, be as emotional as you possibly can. And it used to be considered a sign of maturity to hold your emotions in check. The British stiff upper lip was seen as a mature way to live, whereas now, increasingly, it's considered authentic if you express your emotions all over the place. And uh, I think a particular danger of our current cultural moment is that we are prone to narcissism. Uh, even in our expression of emotions, it can be very much, look at me and look how emotional I am, that kind of narcissistic 
tendency. We are obviously much more concerned with emotional health than used to be the case. When I was a boy, I don't remember anybody at school, any teacher, anybody else talking about emotional health. But now, of course, it's woven through every school curriculum and business and all the rest. There's a question as to whether we actually are healthier, though, whether we really are emotionally healthier as a culture than we used to be. Just to help us get some uh, orientation in terms of definitions this morning, need to slightly differentiate between mental health and emotional health. Here's a definition. The state of mental health reflects how well a person's mind processes information or experiences. It also includes the ability of reasoning and making a decision. On the other hand, emotional health revolves around how well a person responds or expresses her emotions. Emotional health. How well do you respond? How well do you express your emotions? Now, the key phrase, I think, in that definition is how well. Because, of course, you can then ask the question, well, who gets to define that? What does a good response to emotions look like? What does it mean to respond well to in our emotions? And if we want to find out what that means, the best place to turn is Scripture. And in 2 Corinthians, we see what I think represents genuine emotional health. That In this letter, we see the Apostle Paul having a healthy expression of emotion. There's a, a Christian maturity displayed here, that the Apostle Paul is emotionally fluent, but he's not ruled by his emotions. And this begins with clarity about identity. Identity is such a, again, another key issue in our culture at the moment. Who am I? What do I understand about myself? We need to be clear as Christians what our identity is. And 2 Corinthians makes this crystal clear. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. Christ died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Now, I would say this morning, I'd propose to you that this is what true authenticity looks like, what the Apostle Paul describes here. What he describes here is someone who lives for a purpose greater than themselves. This is describing somebody who doesn't fall into the traps of narcissism, but somebody who knows they're living for something bigger. Paul says the Christian lives for Christ. It's the ultimate thing to live for. And there's a different way of looking at the world. Paul says that we no longer judge by worldly standards. So our emotions are not to be controlled by worldly patterns, but instead we're to be shaped by Christ and what Scripture reveals to us. And then he says we've been transformed by Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If you come into a relationship with Christ, you are made new, regardless of your cultural background, ethnicity, gender, age, whatever it might be. Now, this is incredibly important to grasp. For those of us who know Christ, it's so important for us to understand this about who we are. Who are you? If you're a Christian, what does that mean? Who are you? What is your identity? It's all kinds of other things which shape us, define us, about our backgrounds, our histories, where we've grown up, our age, all that kind of stuff. But what is fundamental for us as Christians in knowing who we are is this, that we are new creations, be made new in Christ, transformed by him. We stand on a different foundation and footing. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus yet, this is the invitation to you for transformation, to be made new to come into relationship with the one whom it's worth living for, to find a purpose in life which is far bigger than our own personal 
desires and wishes. This is authentic life. And when we have clarity about our, our identity in the way that is described here, I believe that we can learn emotional health. If you, if you know who you really are, if you have that security in your identity in Christ, that provides a foundation on which you can build emotional health. And I think this is an important subject for us to, to, to think about. As I say, this isn't a message which I've prepared because of what's happened this week. We plan to do this anyway. And uh, this is something which we think is important to consider because we do live in a very emotional world. And we need to have our attitudes and our values shaped by what the Bible teaches us rather than the world. We no longer think in worldly ways, as the Scripture says. Also, specifically for us here at Gateway, we are preparing for what's going to happen in January when we go into two congregations. And I think that's going to be an emotional process. It's a bit like when a young person leaves home for the first time. So when Ben leaves home in a few weeks' time, or not for a few weeks' time, a few days' time, next, uh, next, this coming week as he goes off to Bristol, I'm sure there'll be some emotion there. I'm sure Ben is experiencing a mix of excitement and nervousness and anticipation and some concerns. And, and that's normal when you leave home for the first time. I remember when I was 18 and left home for the first time, and for me that meant getting on a plane and flying to Swaziland where I was going to be spending the next few months and a mixture of excitement for the adventure, but absolute terror as I woke goodbye to my parents at Heathrow Airport. And there'll be something like that, I think, for us as we start in two congregations in January. That mixture of excitement and nerves and anticipation and concerns it's not simply shifting some chairs around. It's not just having a different meeting. We really are like, it's like we're church planting again. And that's an emotional thing to be involved in. So we need to be prepared for this. Um, so I want to help us this morning prepare for emotion. And, and this letter, 2 Corinthians, is a very emotional letter. The Apostle Paul doesn't hold back in expressing emotions as he writes to his friends in Corinth. Just look at some of these phrases I've picked out from the late letter, which show the, the breadth of Paul's emotional language. Look at these things he says. Comfort in all our troubles. Share my joy. I feel distress and anguish of heart. Know the depth of my love for you. Don't be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. We don't lose heart. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We groan and are burdened. We implore you. We're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Make room for us in your hearts. God comforts the downcast. I was delighted to see how happy Titus was. I fear there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. This is a letter which is packed full of an emotion. Paul is an emotional man prepared for emotion. He's, he's a flesh and blood figure. He's not a cardboard cutout. And the appeal that the Apostle Paul makes to the Corinthians is an emotional appeal. Our verses again, 2 Corinthians 6, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. We've opened our hearts wide. We're not withholding our affection from you. Open your hearts to us as well. There's an emotional appeal that Paul makes to the Corinthians. We've, we've worn our hearts and our sleeves. We've held nothing back. I've been an open book to you. And Paul says this because if you do give yourself wholeheartedly to somebody... That's a very vulnerable place to put yourself in. If you make yourself emotionally vulnerable, that's, that, that is vulnerable, to emotionally give yourself to someone else in that way. And when you do, you want to feel a response. 
And we see here that the Apostle Paul's relationship with this church in Corinth, it's not a management position. It's not just that he's been put there to kind of do some ministry to oversight. No, it's, a, it's a relationship of love. He loves this church. He loves these people. And he's poured himself out for them. He's worked hard physically, practically for them. He's expended himself spiritually as he's labored and taught and prayed and cared for them. And, and emotionally, he has poured himself out for this church. And he wants some kind of return on that. And he makes this appeal of a parent. He says, I speak to you as my children. It's the appeal of a parent is, oh, don't go into your room and slam the door on me. Don't stop talking to me. Let, let's maintain conversation. Let, I, I love you. Let's have a hug. I know you hate hating me because you're a teenager. You don't want to hug me. But let's, please, I'm emotionally expended and invested here. I want to feel some love back. It's the appeal of a, of a parent that the Apostle Paul makes here. So how can we be emotionally prepared and emotionally healthy? I think, first of all, we need to see that some people just are more emotional than others. There's a spectrum in this room. There are some who tend much more to be emotionally reserved, and there's some who tend to be much more emotionally expressive. And in the 9.30 service, we had a couple of people bring testimonies about this. Somebody's talking about somebody being too reserved and not experiencing freedom in worship as actually they needed to. And somebody else saying, well, my problem is I'm too emotional. I've had to learn to control my emotions. So there's, a, there's going to be a range in this room. Some people are prone perhaps to over-reserve. Some people are prone to over-emotionalism. But the thing is we can be, I think, very judgy when it comes to emotions. And um, because we live in a in an emotional age, I think it's those who are more reserved who tend to get judged. If someone doesn't express their emotions very freely, they're the ones who tend to get judged in our culture at the moment. Whereas probably 50 years ago, it was if you expressed your emotions too much, you'd have got judged because the stiff upper lip was how we were meant to be living. And what we tend to see now, though, is that the emotional person is regarded as authentic, whereas the stoical person is regarded as repressed. And I think we need to be less worldly in our thinking as 2 Corinthians says, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Different people respond emotionally differently. There is a bandwidth, a, a, I think a biblical bandwidth of emotion in terms of how people think. It's, this is partly cultural. If you come from Italy, you're probably going to be more emotionally expressive than if you come from Iceland. It's just a cultural thing, and, and that's okay. Uh, one of the things that has really wound me up over the years is in gatherings like this when somebody says, let's stop being so British. It's just a daft thing to say. I wouldn't go to uh, Brazil and stop being so Brazilian or to, uh, to, or to Burundi and stop being so Burundian. Now, we are British, and so if you're British, you expect to express your emotions in the culture of what is acceptable in the UK. There are also generational differences. That If you are in your 80s, you were probably raised to have a stiff upper lip. If you're a millennia or a Gen Z, you've been raised to cry all the time. It's just, it's just how it is. Uh, uh, being 50, I, of course, as always, I find this so often, I'm perfectly balanced right in the middle. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing how I find that in most things in life. I'm just absolutely, it's God's grace to me. Anyway, so uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. Now, but what we're looking for is, is emotional health as Christians. What is a Christian? A Christian is a new creation, transformed by Christ. And that's regardless of your culture, it's regardless of which country you've been raised in. It's regardless of what generation you belong to. If you are a Christian, you are a new creation. 
And that means that we are not to be slaves to our, our emotions. It means that we neither need to be overly repressed or we need to be overly emoting. Actually, there's a, 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 an appropriate way to express our emotions, as we see in the Apostle Paul, but also an appropriate way in which we are to control our emotions because we're new creations in Christ. But emotions are not something to be afraid of. Often I find that when I'm praying for people, people start crying. And uh, I think that's a gift I have to bring people to tears. <laughs> Hind over many long years of parenting four daughters. Um, but, you know, it happens. We pray for people and often it's an emotional moment. Uh, if you ask for prayer, it actually can take some real courage. We'll make time as we always do at the end of the service this morning to pray for people. And, and it can take some courage to say, would you pray for me? And then to say why, and that's, that can be emotionally exposing, can't it? I, I, I'm feeling vulnerable in this area, I need help in this area. That's an emotionally exposing thing to do. And then when we pray, God is moving amongst us and revealing things and opening things up. So it's completely unsurprising if, as we pray for one another, there's emotions involved. So if I or anybody else is praying for you after the meeting and you start crying, no problem. That's perfectly fine. That's totally understandable. That's often exactly how it should be. And what we see here in 2 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul is not embarrassed to play on emotions in his appeal to the church. I love you. I've poured myself out for you. I've worn my heart on my sleeve with you. Now come on, give me some emotional response. He's not, he's not embarrassed to play on emotions. Relationships have been strained between him and the church. It's, that's been emotional. And so he appeals to emotions in seeking to restore relationship. And that happens if, if, if in matters of the heart there has to be emotion in play. Of course, that can be done manipulatively. You can use emotion manipulatively. We don't see that here with Paul. What Paul is doing is he's being genuinely open. He's, this is me, Paul, emotionally affected. I'm in pain because there's a breakdown in our relationship. I'm desperate for it to be restored. And we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be afraid of emotion here, something that... I often find when I'm teaching like this from Scripture is that is quite an emotional thing. Often I find that I'm caught a little bit by emotion even as I'm teaching the Word of God. And again, that shouldn't be surprising because when we are in the Scripture, what we're finding, we're finding truth. We're seeing Jesus. We're seeing the light. We're seeing something which is so beautiful and profound and powerful. And that should be an emotional thing. And so if you get caught in emotion during church by the truth of the gospel, well, you should. And, and if at times a preacher is tri tripping a bit and stumbling and gets a bit of a lump in their throat because of what they're trying to express, well, that's unsurprising because what we're dealing with here is so beautiful and true and pure and good and transforming. We should be affected emotionally by the Word of God. And what we're not, what we're not into is manufactured public displays of emotion for emotion's sake. But laughter and tears are appropriate in church. And I'm glad that here at Gateway, we pretty much every time we gather, we experience both. Now, the Bible does provide, I think, a vocabulary, a language for our emotions, because it can be difficult to know how to express our emotion as we should. And what we see as we read Scripture is that it's okay to be emotional, and also the Scriptures show us how to be emotional. We see that here in 2 Corinthians we see it throughout Scripture. We started our service this morning, John and Vicky reading from Psalm 37. And 
If you look at how that psalm is framed, the beginning of that psalm, it's very emotional, talking about how we understand our emotions. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. What we see in, in, in the introduction to this psalm is the psalmist is calling us to identify what our emotions are. What is your emotion at this moment? Is it, are you fretting? Are you envious? Identify that. And then the psalm calls us to cultivate healthy emotions. Take your delight in the Lord. And the psalm encourages us to control and rein in destructive emotions. Anger, wrath, envy. And, and the psalms are especially helpful in teaching us how to express our emotions, how to identify our emotions, and find, giving us a language in which to do that, to really understand ourselves and come to a place of emotional health. Just going to ask Vic to help illustrate this for us. So I have read a brilliant book over the summer called Psalms for a Saturated Soul, an ancient guide to emotional health. And it's been written by a guy called Alan Frau, who's part of the advanced global team. Um, this is a brilliant biblical template from Psalm 42 of how to manage our emotional health. It diagnoses our emotional health and it gives us a template to kind of work that out so that we can move towards health. I'm going to whet your appetite a little bit with describing what a saturated soul is. Alan says that sometimes we're thirsty because we're too full of the wrong things. You can eat loads of salty popcorn until you're stuffed, but all that sodium will make you unbearably thirsty. In the same way, our souls can be so intoxicated with things other than God that they need detoxing before we can drink from God's river of life. This is what I call a saturated soul, and I believe it is a cultural pandemic. I've noticed that this week there has been much narrative in the media and social media about how we should be feeling. And uh, this book gives us a template for, sort of a biblical template for a re-narrating our experiences and what we go through. It also helps us to discern, are we troubled because of sin that we need to repent from? Are we troubled because of wounds when somebody has sinned against us and wounded us? Or are we troubled because we have a weakness that we need God to strengthen us in? And that's a really helpful thing to kind of pull out of this as well. The best bit about this book is Alan teaches us that emotions are mentionable and manageable, that when we have strong emotions, when we're troubled, we can bring them to our Father, we can detox and pour out our souls in order to be able to receive a new grace, a new mercy and love from our Heavenly Father. Highly recommend the book. Thanks, Vix. If you want to get a book, they are on the table at the back and Adam will be there to take a fiber off you for the privilege. So the Psalms and Scripture give us some language about how to process our emotions, how to come to emotional health. We also are given in scriptures examples, models of people who are emotionally healthy. Apostle Paul helps us to see that in 2 Corinthians especially. Let me give you a couple of contrasting examples, one from the world and uh, one from scripture. First of all, story Brigadier Eric Smith. He was a decorated World War II hero and then in the 1960s was sent to Borneo where he was serving with the Gurkhas and this is what happened to him. Smith set off by helicopter to visit one of the forward companies. As they approached their destination, the helicopter crashed into the jungle. His fellow passengers, the battalion medical officer, 
and six Gurkha riflemen managed to escape from the wreckage unhurt, but Smith was trapped by his arm. A strong smell of hot oil indicated that there was a danger of fire. The medical officer, Captain Pat Crawford, decided that immediate amputation was essential. Since there were no instruments and no anesthetics, Crawford had to use a clasp knife for the purpose. The hour-long operation was made ever more hazardous by the fact that the helicopter was upside down and awkwardly balanced. Smith was conscious throughout and did not utter a word. Subsequently, Smith wrote of the incident, I sensed that the Gurkha soldiers were grouped around the wreckage. Bravest of the brave, how often had I seen their courage when wounded in battle. Now I had to try to live up to their standards to show that I was worthy to be one of their officers. It's an incredible story. Imagine it. Imagine that you're trapped under a helicopter and a doctor spends an hour chopping your arm off with a penknife and you do not utter a word because you don't want your soldiers to think you're cowardly. Absolutely extraordinary story, and I personally have huge admiration for somebody like that. But I don't think that's the whole story in terms of how we should respond, what it looks like to be emotionally healthy. Here's a parallel story from the Bible, 1 Samuel 30. Now, the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, I don't think David was any less of a brave warrior than Brigadier Smith, but his emotional response was very different. Whereas Brigadier Smith made not a word as his arm was being amputated, David was unembarrassed to weep himself to exhaustion in front of his men. But as you read the story, this isn't just about David indulging in his emotions. What you see is that he turns his emotions to trust in God. It doesn't end with him weeping on the floor. Where it ends is with him finding strength in the Lord. And you read the story on, and it's a strength which, of course, causes him to act. And he and his men go, and they retrieve all that's been taken from them. He found strength in the Lord. He turned his emotions to God. See something similar in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12.10. Paul writes, when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul was an emotional man, but he was not lost at sea in his emotions. Rather, he found strength in his God. Yeah, he might have been weak, but he found strength in God. He knows who he is, a new creation, and he's living for a greater purpose himself. He's living for Christ, and so he's able to turn in his weakness, in his emotions, to God and find strength. Now, we need to have our emotions prepared like this. We need to find emotional health. This is an incredibly unsettling time in which we are 
living, all the things which are going on in the world. It's been an unsettling week. A new prime minister and the queen dying within the space of a couple of days. And then all the other big issues that have been going on are still going on. That The economic crisis has not ended because of what's happened this past week. And the war in Ukraine has not ended because of what has happened this week. Instead, these things continue. We live in incredibly unsettling times. And for us as a church, come January when we go into two congregations, that's going to be an emotional time as well, potentially unsettling for some of us. And so we need to be emotionally healthy in order to be able to stand firm in all these unsettling things. And to be emotionally healthy, we need to know who we really are, our identity in Christ as new creations. And we need to find something bigger to live for than ourselves. And we have in Christ in whom we live and for whom we live. And we need to find strength in God. The last verses of the uh, psalm we started with this morning say this, The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. That's a declaration of someone who is emotionally healthy, someone who knows who they are in God and is able to turn to God in times of trouble and find strength. Brothers and sisters, we need that kind of emotional health. We need that kind of identity of who we are and that kind of trust in God. So would you stand with me and let's pray and ask for God to help us in these things. Jesus, thank you that we can turn to you and find our strength in you. Thank you for what it means to be a Christian, that we have this identity, this solid ground on which we stand. We know who we are, the transformed people made new, the new creation at work in us. And so, Lord, I pray for us. I pray for those who are struggling with their emotions, even this morning. Lord, I pray for those who perhaps need to step into a greater freedom of expression and liberty and worship, that they'll be able to trust you in that. Lord, I pray for those who find that they tend to be bashed all over the place by their emotions, too easily prone to the ups and downs of their emotions. Lord, I pray that they would learn to trust these things to you, commit them to you, and find a greater stability. I pray for us as a community, we'd be an emotionally healthy people who know who we are, who are shaped by the truth of Scripture, who Jesus looked to you as our great God and Savior and our strength. I pray that this would be a witness to the world in these unsettled times. I pray that the emotional health we are able to have in Christ would itself draw men and women to you as we live in this troubled age. So help us in these things. Bless us in these things, King Jesus. And let us live in a way which honors you, is true to who we really are, and proclaims the greatness of our gods. Amen. Let's worship him.